Wow, some of the biggest buzz we've ever seen for a Game of Thrones episode. It, it, it makes me, it reminds me of, of the buzz after the Red Wedding. Probably not quite that big. There's a couple reasons for this. I'm just jumping off right away here, aren't I? Just getting right into uh-huh. it. No preamble, we're just talking. Ever since the Red Wedding, there's certainly been, people have been more on the lookout for major events happening or epic things happening. Now, this episode didn't have just one major event. There were just a lot of really big things happening. But also, we're finally past the period of the leaked episodes, so everyone is able to talk together about all the topics without spoiling each other, and we're all in the same boat for the most part that we have no idea what's coming, we can make predictions, we can make guesses, and we'll be right on some of them and way off on others, and that's part of the fun. As far as the specifics, or the from a high level, we had a lot of major reveals and shifts in power, we have characters whose arcs are about to collide, and of course, death, or more accurately likely death with others being foreshadowed. So hello and welcome again to another episode of the History of Westeros podcast, the podcast dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series and HBO's Game of Thrones. This is a show-only review episode, so we will not talk about the books, except for maybe the occasional very, very mild, shallow reference just for context or for fun. With me as always is Sean of House Beard. Say hello, Sean. Hello, Sean. <laughs> And you can see we're kind of matching today. I've got a blank shirt, and he's got someone vomiting hearts, which is about right for the... Uh, it, fits, it fits the theme of this episode. You've got people, a lot of talking, a lot of exposition. Some of it's love, and some of it's just kind of an info dump. So, uh, heart barf. That, that works, I Love sick. Love sick. Oh, yeah, love sick. <laughs> okay, I get it, I get it. <laughs> it can be interpreted in many ways. <laughs> so, first of all, very good response to our new policy of taking and answering relevant listener questions and as well as some predictions and observations. Uh, people are liking having their mention, their names mentioned and we're really enjoying being able to add a more interactive feel to the show. This is an interactive thing. Game of Thrones, any kind of fandom, you want to be able to talk about it with your friends so we try to incorporate that because hey, we're your friends, right? Sean and I, we're, we're your friends. So, I don't know. I'm going to start calling them watchiners. You guys are watchiners because some of you are listeners, some of you are watchers, and I don't have a word for both, so I have to make something up. So thank you, watchiners, for your questions. Uh, a particularly good one. Uh, there'll be plenty more throughout this episode. Presidential Mir, or Presidential Mister, rather, points out that if Tyrion is going to come train, help Daenerys train her dragons, well, that's weak because Daenerys needs to learn to train her own dragons like a true Targaryen would. <laughs> Not a bad observation there. We'll see how that goes. Vlad of Wallachia asks, how much smaller is HBO's version of Westeros? That's a good question, because it does seem like some travel is, is going really quickly. Some things just people get to one place or another really fast. 70 to 80% it sounds about right. It could be even smaller. But it's hard to say, because some of that just maybe the show just taking liberties and not wanting to bother to deal with these large distances and just kind of pushing past it and letting people accept it. That's That's probably... Just as good as an explanation as Westeros being smaller. But I like that thought. I like the idea that maybe that would make it fit better. Of course, you can always support History of Westeros by going to historyofwesteros.com. And pretty much all the links on the right side there are various ways to help the show. A lot of them involve you not spending any more money than you would have. So if you want to have higher quality content and more of it, support the show and spread the word. Let's get started. A lot of different interesting themes in this episode, Sean. What are some of the themes that you noticed? I hadn't broke it down in themes so much, although a lot of them maybe are still continuing uh, from what we talked about in the past. But, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. What I, what I noticed, uh, a motif, if you will, in this episode is... Similar. 
Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna oh, yes. Stark and Jon Snow's potential or oh. maybe even clear uh, <laughs> true yes, history. Yes, yes, that is one of the major epic things we'll be talking about today. That's going to be throughout the episode, but mostly towards the end. There's so many amazing things to cover, but like you said, that that's a big part of it. That's a, you could you could say that backstory is a big part of this episode. History. There's yeah. a lot of history. There's a lot of backstory. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of explaining plots, and there's also a theme of uprising. We have the Sons of the Harpy, the Faith Militant. Jamie risking war with Dorne, and from previous episodes, we have the North remembers. We have perhaps the Northern small folk, you know, maybe allying with Sansa or r- rallying against the Boltons. Among the history backstory topics, of course, like you said, we have Rhaegar and Lyanna. We have the tournament at Harrenhal. We have Stannis expressing things about Jon Snow's mother. That was a little out of nowhere, but very interesting. We have yet more on grayscale, we have more about, we have some history of the Faith Militant along the lines of them being brought back into power again. It's not just them rising, it's also we get to hear what they used to be doing and, and how they got started. We also see some small things, like some things about Dorne, like the Sandsteeds, and then Obarasan gives her sort of spiel about her backstory. In terms of plot exposition, we have Tyrion explaining Jorah's plan to the audience as he's figured it out on his own. We have Littlefinger explaining what he expects Stannis to do. We have Bronn explaining the plan about what they're doing in Dorne by asking the right questions and Jaime answering. And Bronn also kind of deciphers some of what's going on behind the scenes with Jaime and Cersei. He clearly seems to know a few things. And then we have more action than usual. Some very major action in several different places. The Faith Militant again, Sons of the Harpy, Bronn and Jamie again. So, as we always do, we try to break things down by location. King's Landing, Winterfell, Dorne, The Wall, and Essos. Not in that order, though. <laughs> but we are going to start with King's Landing. This episode did jump around a lot, by the way. A lot more of like a, a little snippet here, a little back and forth. Uh... Yeah, I think that added to the excitement of the episode. A lot yeah. of quick scene changes with action-y things happening in between the, or in those scenes. So let's start with the small council. We have Mace Tyrell. We have Pycelle. We have Sir Marin Trant. Now, something big happened there. A little connection point to be noticed. Bravos. Marin Trant and Mace Tyrell are going to Bravos. Well, it just so happens that one of we we talked about Arya's list and how it's gotten shorter. Her death list, her kill list. Well, one of the names that didn't get cut from that list is Marin Trant. Yeah. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? That sounds, uh, that sounds like something's about to come together. I talked about plot lines colliding. Well, we've seen some arcs about to come together. A well done scene. I think that, uh, and it makes me even wonder a little bit about Mace Tyrell. I wonder how much he's just a total doofus, and how much he's just. Trying to keep positive about things, you know. I, I it it seemed like he was being taken prisoner there, you know. Not not go, not My going, very own Kingsguard. Yeah, <laughs> not so much going as an envoy on a mission, but being you know taken as a hostage and turned over as collateral. You know, that's uh, kind of how. I, but he seemed like oh proud about the opportunity, you know. But I, I wonder if in the back of his mind he understands what's going on, but. What else is he supposed to do? He might as well just go. Marin Trant's taking him one way or the other. Cersei's yeah. sending him one way or the other. Might as well make the best of it. And it seems to have a purpose to it as well, besides the, the actual need. It's, it's, it's true that the crown is in trouble financially in, in some ways. But it's also good to notice that um, Cersei is getting people out of her way, in a sense. Of course, she immediately does some things that we're about to discuss to the Tyrell family. But, of course, she firstly makes sure that Mace Tyrell is out of the way. And the Queen of Thorns, Elena Tyrell, is not there, although Marjorie does mention that she's going to go bring her back in the game. So 
that's exciting because we love to see Olenna Tyrell. So that, and it's also a bit ominous for, for Picel there, that line. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I felt the camera, it was good. Again, once again, I think they, once again, I think they do a good job with editing and, you know, that the camera held on Picel just for a moment when <laughs> Cersei very, very quiet, subtly said, uh, not small enough. You know, yeah, small it's like, council, small council is getting smaller, smaller still. Not small enough. Small enough. And, yeah. and as she passed the screen, the camera just stopped on Pycelle for a moment, you know. <laughs> and Ka- and uh, Kyburn kind of smiled. Yeah, yeah. He knows, he knows she's not talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cersei then moves on to talk to the so-called High Sparrow. And my impression of this High Sparrow is that he was just playing this really humble game with her but it's 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 behind it is this strong force of will like aggressive humility or something yeah i'm still not sure about this character i uh i'm questioning my initial take i i thought at first that he was kinder and truer and more meek or (laughs) if you will and that this violent action was like oh this unfortunate thing happened that you know he he understands why his followers would do this but he wishes they wouldn't but now it seems like He's encouraging it. It, it, it. It's not completely clear. We haven't seen him actually do it, but he. But he's like, oh, Faith Milton, get armed. Cersei, me and you allies. He seems to be like going along with everything. So maybe he is a little more sinister uh, than I perceived at first. But he's playing a good game with her and showing that he does. He doesn't outwardly act like he's now her equal or anything like that. It's like he's playing more of a longer game. But it's we don't know what he knows yet. With Lancel doing all these things, but we still don't know how much of a connection there is between Lancel and and this High Sparrow. Because Lancel knows some serious dirt on Cersei. Yeah. And you wonder if he's just sitting there thinking, "Oh, you hypocrite! Oh, you're you're next!" Or, yeah. Or if does he, he not does know already yet? know all that, then he maybe he has a more long term plan to take Cersei down. He's got to get her trust first. Or if not, when he does find out, will he like? Sweep it under the rug and keep going with his new ally. You know, I'm not or is sure. Is he going to turn on her as well? That's going to be very interesting to see if if she's if this is going to blow up in her face or if it's going to work out the way she wants it to. What do you think her she's angling for here in general by making them an ally and by making them more powerful? Honestly, I think that she doesn't have a long term plan. Mm. I think that if you think about it, these moves are to get Marjorie's family out of the way. Yeah, right. That there, think, it seems very like very clear. Yes. Uh, on some level, she's like maneuvering for power, but I'm not sure if she has thought out a long-term big-picture plan, which often has been it's step one, an issue with Cersei. You know, she's step more... three profit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she. I feel like many times in the past, she's had like in the moment made good moves, but in the long run, they've turned out poor. And I sort of suspect the same thing is happening now. She she doesn't like person X Y Z. Gets rid of person X Y Z. Now wait, who's in charge of the army? Where's who's my master coin now? I don't know what to do about this. You know, yeah. she's gonna. <laughs> Cersei seems to have a pattern of, she's actually smart when she takes the time to think. It's just that she a lot of times doesn't take the time to think, and she's filled with paranoia and and anger. And that uh, all of us, ever any human being knows that you don't do your best thinking when you're paranoid and angry. Uh, so it's not the best time to be making plans, <laughs> but. That's Cersei's character. That's what she does. So, yeah, so I really want to see more about Lancel's relationship with the High Sparrow, whether he's told her, told him about Robert, about sleeping with Cersei, whether Cersei is, whether the High Sparrow is just waiting for her to give him more and more power so he can turn it around and use it against her, or whether he's going to maintain her as an ally, whether they're going to do things together. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But it's interesting how quickly things move there. 
we get them talking about the Faith Militant, and it's like a voiceover. They're still talking about it, and the Faith Militants just start smashing liquor, and they go down to the the warps, and and it's hard to tell what's happening. But they're what they're if you look closely, they're smashing other religious idols. Okay, that's what it looked like a board game. They're, that's what it looked I thought. Like it looked chess like chess or something. Yeah, yeah that's but I, I, that's what I had written in my notes first. But then um, Ashea noticed that it was. There's, if you look close, there's like a, a flaming heart. There's like a, a couple of other religious items. So it's that's what they're doing. They're smashing non-faith of the seven idols and relics and symbols and stuff like that. By the way, uh, talking about size of Westeros and how long it takes to travel and stuff, I I also wonder uh, the timing of things. Like, yeah. I, I, in my mind, some amount of time passed. They didn't, like, have the conversation in the morning about our army and the faith militant, and in that afternoon, they're smashing up the idols. Yeah, I assume some amount of time, maybe even weeks went by, and I also sort of assume that, too, that when a message is sent or a person's traveling from place to place, that, you know, we see it two seconds later. But yeah. I, I, I usually assume that a matter of maybe days or weeks has gone by. Uh, and there are probably, that said, are still some inconsistencies, but I... I think I'm happy the show doesn't tie themselves down too much with that, you know. I agree. And it's it's also nice to see that uh, that's part of the theme of the episode as well. We have two different cases like this where there's a conversation happening and it kind of fast forwards or parallels some action happening. We see that later when they're talking about the traditions of the Marinese. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. the, the Sons of the Harpy are on the march already. And they're still talking about this, and, and the, the blood starts to spill. But we'll get to that a little later. In the meantime, there's the issue of the arrest of Sir Loris. It's, uh, it was a little surprising. Uh, he, he was caught unawares, didn't have a chance to fight. He was, you know, and holding a tourney sword in, in the first place, wouldn't have had much chance to fight, and was probably not expecting to be accosted in the Red Keep where his sister is the queen and all yeah. that. He, it was very surprising. The squires around him were probably just as taken aback. None of them were even looking. They were all focused on watching Loris fight. My initial reaction when that scene, too, was like, how Loris is such a badass. We've seen him and known how he's proven himself. How did he suddenly get taken by these? But I, I even considered he might have just allowed it to happen, too. What, I mean, what's he going to do, slaughter eight monks in the red you know he's one like oh, yeah, I'm under arrest. Yeah. okay let's what are we what's what next so let me just go along with this for a minute you know he probably didn't assume that he was going to be that the brother of the queen was going to be thrown in jail and abandoned you know <laughs> yeah while sitting in, in the castle exactly like it's just yeah. really out of nowhere he's really surprised by it and he had no he didn't also didn't didn't look like they were attacking him they were trying to seize him they didn't like they they had weapons but they weren't like uh yeah. we're coming to get you but they much, also didn't see them coming it, it seems like uh much like when tommen went to the stairs that probably they could have just chopped all those guys down but yeah. that's that would have made things worse. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I'm sure we'll get there, but I really like that moment with Tom. And, and so far, I like Tom in general. We've seen very little of him, but I'm just trying to imagine Joffrey in that same situation. Joffrey yeah. would have ordered them to attack, yeah. <laughs> oh, it would have been terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we know how he would have handled it. You're right. It's very. It's interesting to see the very opposite. Jo- uh, Tom is Tommen. younger and less well-groomed for this position and mm-hmm. still is making better decisions. Even if maybe he's being manipulated a little bit, Yeah, he wasn't manipulated to the point of initiating violence and starting a war and making himself look worse and on and on. He definitely he's... needs to show more spine, which is the next topic. But I agree with you that he shouldn't just be chopping people's heads off for, for, for doing this kind of thing. He, he wants to find a peaceable solution. That's clearly what he's about. And, yeah, I respect that, but he does need to be tougher. And that is a theme, a major theme of this episode that we're going to move on to now. Marjorie comes in, and she yells, like, you know, why is my brother in jail? And Tommen has no idea what's happened. He's being honest about that. He does have no idea. 
And she's so upset that she almost breaks character. She says, yeah. you know, don't you get it? Your mother and I, blah, blah, blah. And, she, and Tommen is like, aren't you getting along? And then she's like, she pauses, gets her, catches her breath. Don't you love me at all? And she goes back to her manipulation game yeah, and realizes yeah. that, you know, puts her anger aside. Minor note, by the way, I think that that might have also even been an indication of time had passed. Ah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That uh, Tom, in his mind, thought that they were getting along. Probably because Cersei was playing the game and Marjorie was too. And but all along, remember Cersei said, anything you want. And I, I interpret that as nothing you want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more than you can handle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it might be more than Cersei can handle, too. I also want to say, though, I'm not so sure that... I mean, I think it's completely reasonable to say that Tommy needs to have more spine. But I don't necessarily think that he was being uh, weak or cowardly in any way there. He was being outmaneuvered. Like, he went to the queen. He's like, let him go. And the queen's like, oh, I don't even have him. He's like, uh... Okay, fine. I'll go to the High Sparrow. And goes to the High Sparrow, and there's like a bunch of guards around. It's like, oh, crap. Uh, like, he was trying to be bold and trying to do the right thing. He wasn't, like, scared of his mother. He just ran into roadblocks and hadn't figured out how to get around them yet. I think yeah. he needs to be more savvy, not get more spine. That's maybe, my maybe, Yeah, that makes sense. At this point, at this point. I, 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 would agree, I would maybe say that he needs both, but you're definitely right that he does not have enough savvy. He, he certainly is unaware of what's happening around him with, with Marjorie and Cersei, yeah. and he may key in on that eventually if he gets the chance, but he is very young. Now, I also think there's another angle going on with Cersei, and that's that she realizes that Tommen needs a little toughening. And so she put him in this spot to go, well, you need to go talk to the High Sparrow. You need to do this. You're the king. And Marjorie is basically saying the same thing. She's saying, you're the king of the Andals, and you just got yeah. set back by these religious fans. Of course, she's upset, and she's very biased because it's her brother and all that. But she's also not wrong in, in some ways. So that's an interesting bit of byplay there. The whole back and forth with Tom and Tom's getting pulled in all a bunch of directions. And he gets a little taste of what the common people think of him, doesn't he? he gets, uh, he's sitting on the yeah, steps and people are yelling, too. bastard, which, abomination, and that could be a big thing. Which, once again, it's so easy for him to lose his temper and get mad and yell back. But he kept his calm, thought about the situation, we'll find another way. Yeah. If popular belief become, if more people start to believe the rumors, the truth, about Tommen's parentage, that could really blow up. Of course, the faith would hate that. Now, yeah. it's a matter of how much of that does Lancel know? Can he tell the High Sparrow that? Ooh, that's just a lot of... How much does the High Sparrow pick. even already know? Like that, I feel like the common yeah. people on the steps there yelling it out, it's almost common knowledge anyway, or at least yeah. common it's, suspected. It's, it's a common rumor. There's a yeah. reason these wars are going on and everything. So, uh, I do wonder, again, if maybe the Sparrow is turning a blind eye to it, or trying to figure out how to deal with it down the road... Or trying to be positive that it's not true. I don't know. But uh, I feel like Tommen is in a situation like Rhaegar. Tommen certainly hasn't proven himself like Rhaegar, but I feel like he's got it in him to be a good leader. But just the world around him is going to fall apart and he's not going to get a chance. Yeah, the, the potential for upheaval in King's Landing, in the capital, yeah. if the common people unite behind some sort of leader like the High Sparrow or some other claimant or anything that's just enormous power. When you have the will, when you have the common people whipped up to a frenzy and willing to get involved, that's the kind of power that someone like Cersei tends to downplay as a thing. Uh, but it's we're starting to see that the people have power and if they're mobilized a certain way, look out. Whoever Whoever's in charge needs to really look out for that. And so I'm really eager to see how this plays out. One other, a uh, couple other notes on King's Landing before we move on. We have Marjorie saying that she's going to bring Elena back in the game, which we talked about briefly. 
but also that she's kind of saying I need to be with my family and her kind of walking away and she, whether, she didn't say she's bringing Elena there she said I need to send word to her that's true so whether or not Elena comes or Marjorie leaves I'm not sure I'm not, I don't, and I wonder if Marjorie even realizes yet that her dad is gone she might. She, well, if time has passed, know. she would. Have, she would have realized. Yeah, that I don't know how much time passed between that meeting at the council and that and the arrest. Yeah, um, that's but, true. Uh, and Marjorie probably, in retrospect, she would realize now. I see. So she's making these moves now. These people are out of the way. She's got Loris on lockdown. Mace is gone. Olena is not there, though she could be. And so Marjorie's a little bit on her own at this yeah. point, which is might be a bit might be a reason why she's decided to leave or go be with her family. She might be a little worried for herself. Oh yeah, uh, Mar- I was going to say earlier when you were talking about how Tom is being pulled in different directions. I feel like Marjorie and Cersei are both trying to use the king for their own power. Right? Yeah. Does that make yes, sense? Definitely. Although we haven't seen Marjorie, we haven't seen her specifically do anything. I, I, I can't see that she has a particular agenda. Other than like securing her position, concern over Cersei. Cersei has an agenda. She has things she wants to do specifically. Yeah. Whether they're short term or long term or smart or whatever. But uh, Cersei's winning this battle for sure. Yeah. And, and it kind of makes sense too. She's the incumbent, if you will. She has she set up the King's Guard and the King's Council. She has these things already set up. Marjorie's coming into it. She might be able to manipulate Tommen, but Tommen can't manipulate the small council. You know. So. I think Marjorie realizes that too. That might be part of the reason she's afraid. She's like, look, this. If things go bad, my husband here is maybe isn't capable of protecting me because he's a little too weak-willed or too unskilled, too unex- inexperienced at playing the Game of Thrones. So that will be a, a very interesting situation for a lot of reasons, especially since other characters seem to be heading there. You know, Littlefinger will be coming back to King's Landing, according to the scene in the crypts there. With him in the game at King's Landing, well... He always brings chaos, so uh, it's so chaotic already. It's like he's coming home. <laughs> he's By the way, that's another to thought too. He might be coming home to more danger. I just thought of this just now because you remember when they were like raiding the the brothel, mm-hmm. killing people, and Oliver, right? Oliver, yeah, Oliver. Yeah. Oliver. He says, "This is the house of Lord Peter Baelish." Da da da. And they just ignored him, pushed him aside, kept killing left and right. I even wonder. Hmm. Yeah, he, he could be in danger, it's true. He's a brothel, and he's the proprietor of all these brothels, and if Cersei and people like Cersei and Loras aren't even untouchable, then Littlefinger doesn't have troops. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, in my mind, Cersei, like, offered up Loras to the Sparrows. and like, oh, okay, here, yeah, this is a, a, a wealthy person who's protected from his sins by his position. Yeah, and Cersei can help us take him down. Is Littlefinger the same? Is, does Cersei have it out for Littlefinger? Does she still consider him an ally? She's suspicious? Like, does she want Littlefinger to come back to have a master coin, to have someone help her manage things, or she wanted to come back as another offering to the Sparrow? I could see it going a number of ways. I could see her going as high as making him hand to the king, which she has nobody in that position right now, and she's looking for new allies. Or I could see, yeah, I could see him kind of coming in and being thrown to the wolves a bit. Although, she that or, would be underestimating him, I think, from from her perspective. But that doesn't mean she won't do it. Either way, by the way, what does the other side want? Let's say she is calling, calling him back to be Hand of the King. And in the High Sparrow's like, Hand of the King, isn't he the one that owns the, <laughs> the brothel? What? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, or <laughs> if, and if they do, like, try to seize him, she's like, whoa, this is my hand of the king. Don't, you can't, you know. Yeah, that could cause some conflicts. Like, you're yeah. associated with him? You, you know. I hadn't really this? thought about how that was going to play out other than that comment that they made. This is Peter Baelish's, and he's on the way back. And, and there's, there's also, this is a, a good good pivot point for us to talk about Littlefinger and how his, how, his, the, how the future might work out for him. 
when Cersei is sitting down to talk to the High Sparrow, there's a quick shot of a message that she's received. The camera pans away from it. That is a message from Peter Baelish. Zoom down on it, you can see the word establishment, or my establishment on it, and it's possible that he had something to, it's, and it's before the establishment, before any of the violence is done to his people and his, his building. So it has nothing to do with that. Okay. So something to do with, maybe something to do with Olivar and how he's a witness to certain things, how he can out certain people because he's, he's inside, he knows all, uh, he knows all these yeah, dirty yeah, secrets yeah. about people, including the old High Septon. <laughs> but he's already in the dungeons. So that's a lot of potential there. Littlefinger knows a lot of yeah, things about a lot of people. maybe Littlefinger's being called as a witness. Yes, very true. He's a, as a brothel owner, he is privy to some of the people's darkest secrets that he really, people do not want to get out. And Olivar, as Littlefinger is de facto second in command, as far as we can tell, he knows just as much, maybe more in some ways, less than others, but he gets, he's hands on. He's there at the, at the brothels working every day where Littlefinger is yeah. off, you know, in the Vale and in Winterfell, etc. So that big powder keg potential there. We'll have to wait and see. Any more thoughts on King's Landing before we move on? I'm sure I'll think of something in a minute, <laughs> but we can move on. Okay, so let's go to Dorne, or on the way to Dorne, we have this ship that Jamie and Bronn take, and we get a nice little detour where Jamie says, is that Estermont? The Estermonts are, Thanis' grandmother is an Estermont. Wait, Thanis' mother is an Estermont. His grandmother is a Targaryen. But it's Tarth that they're looking at. And Jamie stares at it. He's like, oh, Tarth, you know, that's Brienne's homeland. So they're a little bit of an undertone there. Brienne kind of thinking, or Jamie thinking about Brienne. And, yeah. and see, that's a nice little nod there before things change dramatically in terms of the scene. Especially, too, you remember that episode with uh, Brienne when he gave her the sword. And she's going to go and try to save Sansonaria. Yeah. Oathkeep. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if on some level there, Jamie's trying to, like, she kept her oath. I'm going to keep mine. I'm going to go get Marcella, you know. He's he finding inspiration in Brienne. You know? And he immediately starts talking about how it has to be me. Yeah. Bron, and Bronn is like, yeah. why are you going? You're recognizable. You can't fight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what is, why you? And he Bron, and he's like, it has to be me. He doesn't really give a great reason. He's just like, it has to be me. I have to do it. And uh, it's not fully explained, but you know well, that Jamie's very determined. He has to It was to, sort of explained. Because Bronn, Bronn well, it's, calls it's, it's, and he's like, yeah. you need redemption. You know, you, blame could be played around in a lot of ways, but you at least feel guilty about your father dying you feel yes. guilty about xyz you need redemption you know? yeah and he and they they touch on that how jamie is now quite upset with Tyrion, and he would yeah he'd cut yeah. him in half if he saw him again and so that's a little bit of exposition there and Bronn twice both once on the ship and again once they're ashore points out that he is aware that jamie is tommen's father and marcella's father by the way, I want to lodge a minor complaint here about the show. Okay. I really struggled to hear a lot of the lines in this episode. Mm. Uh, I definitely had to rewind it, turn it up, like put the subtitles on. Uh, I didn't catch what he said about Tyrion there the first time oh, around okay. when he said, yeah. "If I, uh, yeah, I can't remember it. the line now, but something like if I, Bronze like sending sending my regards. If I see him again, I'll cut him in half. Then I'll send him regards." <laughs> I didn't hear what he said the first time around. Yeah, didn't recognize that he had like this anger towards Tyrion at this point. And then that happens again on the shore when he says, "You know, how do you want to go out?" And he says. You know, holding the woman I love. And yeah, I, I didn't hear I that. Hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The subtitles For context, yeah, he must have said something about Cersei, yeah, but I feel like almost every scene of the episode, I missed some line, and uh, I knew I was going to go back and watch it all again anyway, <laughs> but, yeah. and what but did I you wonder think, how many other people have that issue. What did you think about Bronn's dialogue, apart from that? He's talking about how you know, how they want to, how he wants to die and the best ways to die. <laughs> it seems very ominous. Yeah. Well, a couple <laughs> things. Well, Real quick, I do want to make one other point. I'm kind of complaining about not being able to hear. Another thought is, 
some of the scenes are very dark. This episode had a lot of darkness, and last episode did too. And I'm kind of complaining about it, but I also want to point out, I appreciate it. Uh, hmm. I think that sometimes dialogue that's hard to hear reflect real life. Sometimes people kind of say things under the breath or say it with uncertainty or you don't always hear everything perfectly in real life. And also, maybe you should go back and watch it again because there's a lot of other things <laughs> that catch up if you do hear it all. Yeah, uh, yeah but, we, uh, didn't, we, we didn't just watch it once, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think, I think that, that scene, which again, things that didn't start clicking in my mind until after I'd watched the episode again, I think Braun's going to die. I think he's being set up to, to die. That, that conversation about how they're going to go... And uh, when you kind of look at the show in sort of a big picture perspective or a literary or marketing or whatever perspective, Braun's character is popular and he's being developed. And so it would be tragic for him to die. It would be like a powerful moment, but he's not integral to any of the central plot. He doesn't have a defined or, purpose. Right. Yeah, know? he's like, he's Jamie's so like wingman. He's, <laughs> from a literary perspective, he's expendable, you yeah. know. Uh, he should be wearing a red shirt right yeah. now, I don't want her to die, and I, I especially like I was saying, because I felt like this episode, we'll get to it later, but I felt like they kind of set up Barristan's death, you know, the, the, it didn't just randomly happen out of nowhere, after yeah. it happens, you watch it again, like, oh, that scene was for this, and that, there's mm-hmm. like, I've said this before, by the way, I think one one way to, there's a lot of different measures of literature, or film, or, you know, what makes it good, or what it should do, you know, is definitely a debatable point, but there's a school of thought, at least, that there should be a sort of integrity, that everything in there should be there for a reason, and nothing should be missing, everything should have a whole, like, yeah. you know, from the camera angle, to what they're wearing, to the lines that they speak, to the timing, the facial expression, every element, you know, to some directors might go to greater or lesser levels of detail. But I feel this show specifically puts a lot of effort into having purpose for every little detail. And I think that there's a purpose for that particular conversation with yeah. Jamie. There's a purpose for the conversation with Barristan and Danny about her brother. There is a purpose for da 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 da. And I think you could see that was all kind of setting up Barristan to die. And if Based on that, I feel like they're setting up Braun to die. Yeah, it, I, I agree. Uh, it's it's kind of sad. It's but, but it has kind of been telegraphed. It's been it's almost like blatant how much they're foreshadowing it. Mm-hmm. You just all this talk about how do you want to die and the best ways to die and I don't want to die. I want to die in my keep, growing old. It's like oh man, <laughs> they're just laying it on thick here. <laughs> Uh, but then we get an action scene and Braun acquits himself well. So it certainly didn't happen yet. And I just love Jamie catching the sword in his golden hand. That was just so hilarious. I loved it. It was a great touch. A little bit of comedy it takes. Because sometimes the action scenes are, you know, it's really hard to have realistic action scenes. Nobody actually knows what it's like in real life, for the most part, to have fights between guys with swords and spears and armor. Like, that that era is long gone in human history. So, you know, I always got to give them a little bit of you know, uh, a little bit of leeway for doing things a little awkwardly in terms of action because it's just hard to do. It's hard to, de- to to replicate. It's hard to be realistic about something that nobody has a great idea of what realism is in these scenarios. So I like when they throw in a slightly funny stuff like that because it's it's already a little unrealistic and a little campy. So you may as well just go with what you have and and make it funny. Now, of course, later in the episode, there's some very serious fighting with no humor, no camp at all. It's all very sad, but that just shows that, you know, they can handle it in a number of different ways. Man, I wish I was a writer for the show. <laughs> that, that moment when you, like, caught the sword and, like, you know, finished it off, Braun came up. I wish Jamie had said, 
I could have taken two. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's uh, let's move on. That plot line is still really just in a development phase. We've, we've they've, they've they've there's been some exposition. There's been some foreshadowing, and we know what they're doing. They're going to try to rescue Marcella, and we see that there's other characters who are now aware of this plot to rescue Marcella, and they're going to try to beat them to it. So we have an even greater level of conflict here. Are we going to move to Alaria now? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't want to cut you off, but I do have some thoughts here. Okay, cool. Um, well, you can start us then. Tell us your impressions of the Ilaria and the Sand Snakes. All right, well, I want to back up a little, because there was one thought that I had that bothered me a little bit at first with Jamie and uh, Braun there. I I thought, I, in my mind, is like, this whole freaking country, I don't know how many miles, hundreds of miles or whatever, and <laughs> randomly the spot where they land is randomly where the scouts show. But yeah, that was I a little feel, weird. The timeline well, was awkward there. But I realize they cover their bases there. They're like, oh, we captured the ship captain. We know at least the approximate location. There's a reason for them to be scouting that area out. And I, I was a little bothered at first by that, but it kind of I felt better about it when I felt like they did kind of like explain that a little bit. Right. Um, and also, I think there's a neat parallel that they present there where Jamie is on this mission, sort of this personal sort of quest of maybe not vengeance, but, you know, he has this honor, personal product of honor, redemption, to, whatever yeah. it is, you know, <laughs> and he's trying to do it without causing war. He could mobilize the armies and make a da-da-da-da-da, but he's trying to not cause war. Whereas here we have Laria San trying to cause war. She has this personal once mission war, and yes. wants to trying to... So I think it's a neat parallel between those characters that seem to be headed for a showdown. Yeah, and what did you think of the Sand Snakes in general? This is our first time um, seeing them on screen. Well, I, I here again, I hate to be negative, but I was a little bit disappointed. I've there's been a lot of buzz about these characters, and so I kind of had high expectations, and they were a little bland. To be fair, they haven't had much time. They they have you know like two minutes of screen time or whatever, so you know maybe they'll be fleshed out better. And additionally, I thought the scene, which again I try to be forgiving, they have so much to cram into these shows but it was a little contrived i feel like the i feel like the speech that i obara obara gave i just have a hard time believing that she hasn't already given that speech before you know what i mean <laughs> like don't they know this story already this is the first time she ever told this story she you know but we needed to hear it as an audience and uh i feel like part of the exposition theme of this episode right explaining yeah. things. i feel like that the interaction between those characters i didn't seem very realistic to me, but I understand they make they need to make the introduction to these characters. And uh, by the way, I'm gonna kind of I don't get too caught up in it, but I feel like we've had this thing with John, where characters keep coming at him with these first Stannis, hey John, come with me to Winterfell. Then Davis, <laughs> hey John, why don't you go with Stannis Winterfell? Here come Melisandre, hey you should come with Winterfell. And he keeps like putting him away, putting him away. You know, I think that. Uh, it might have been. It would have taken a lot more time, but it might have been neater to see Alaria to have like a similar pattern of Alaria going to the different sisters and mm. then having her reasons why they might or might not want to go to war. You know, uh, right. I don't know. But but again, that might have been like three different two minute scenes. They don't have enough time. I'm excited to see more from these characters, even if I was maybe a little disappointed with the introduction. Right on. I have to agree with you. I was looking forward to seeing them because, like you said, you, you heard the buzz about them. I've read about them, and they're you know uh, I, I definitely was a little disappointed. There are they're a little too similar to each other at this point. Maybe that, like you said, that'll they'll flesh them out a little more. But I also just didn't like. I thought the acting was a little weak. And but like you said, it's 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 early. There's plenty more time, and it, maybe part of that was just my expectations were a little reduced. But I think in general, from the buzz I'm hearing, that was 
most people's the the fandom in general's pick for the weakest scene of the episode, and partly because there was some disappointment wrapped in it because there was a lot of expectations there. I thought they I just I didn't like their costumes either. I thought they were a little cheesy and. But anyway, I don't I don't like being negative either. So let's yeah. let's. Go if ahead I was and... going to get caught up in the logistics again. They just have like this tent in the middle of the desert. Yeah. I didn't see any water. The, why, the, why is a horse they... when she rides up? Does a horse get anything to drink? You know what I mean. And like, why are they killing this ship captain? What did he do wrong? Yeah. He just he gave them news that they wanted, and they kill him. Like why? I didn't even. Yeah, maybe, I don't know their maybe characters. Maybe someone can Do they that. take the gold too? You know, where's the ship? The whole crew is abandoned now. Yeah, it's not like this guy was a bad guy or even against yeah. them in any way. He brought them news that they that they could use. Uh, so uh, anyway. There may be some more explanation there. Any more thoughts on Dorne in general? It seems it's pretty early in the game in Dorne at this point. Yeah. We'll, we'll be seeing more of it. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of it. There's We've hardly seen Doran and Ariel Hota at all, but we'll, I'm sure we'll be seeing more of them. So any questions on those guys or those characters, make sure you send them our way. There are a lot of, prediction, a lot of interesting prediction possibilities out there, so send those our way as well. So let's talk now about the extreme opposite end of Westeros. We were in Dorne. Let's head all the way north to the Wall. And talk about some very interesting things happening up there. Selyse, Shireen, Stannis, and Melisandre have a bit of a conversation up there. Well, really about Shireen. Shireen is, is, is hardly a part of it as far as that. Uh, there's an li- interesting bit of commentary on Ned Stark's mother. Irish Repub 84 asks, Has Sean of Al's beard ever been asked who he thinks Jon Snow's mother is? Good timing for that question. Have you ever been asked that question? Uh, in fact, I've asked many other people that question. It was something <laughs> it, it, that I was sort of clued into before I ever watched the show. It was like uh, there were a few things that I happened to know before I watched the show that definitely gave me, on one hand, I, I, I'll say maybe like a, a clue or a taint as to where things might be going, but also it gave me a much greater appreciation of the show in general, having a lot of the background. I knew a, a decent amount of like some history of the show not what's going to happen, but things that had happened. Right. Um, and one example is I had several friends who are people that, g- good people, good friends that I respect and respect their opinions, that thought Jamie Lannister was one of their favorite characters. And he's presented right off the bat as this terrible villain. <laughs> so like, I knew what? there had to be something more to it. So I tried to keep my mind open. And I had had people ask me questions that when I'm trying to introduce new people to Game of Thrones, I'll ask them, does it make sense to you? The Ned Stark would have a bastard son. I had been asked that question, you know. And so I think once you're, once a couple questions are asked of you along that line, you start to pick up all these other things. Yeah, why that, are people asking all these questions? Right. Like, you might, there's something here, yeah. And I, I do wonder, in fact, when I was reading the book, first book, because I, I just read it like right before the season started, uh, or just finished it right before the season started, and um, was wondering to myself as I was reading it, at what point I would have realized certain things. Like, how, when would I have noticed? Would I have even figured out? Who, who the kids who, uh, or would you even figured out that there was some mystery? So, right. You yeah. Know, yeah. Just gone with like the, Ned was definitely yeah. like trying to figure something out, and eventually he does. And I don't know if I would have figured it out even at the moment when he did. I don't think that I would necessarily would have even figured it out. You know, um, there's a little context here that that can add real quickly. That if you remember way back in season one, as John is going to the wall, John asks about his mother, and Ned is like, "When I see you again, I'll tell you about your mother." And he is. He's choking up as he's saying it. 
He's yeah. like his he's he's it's some some good acting there. Yeah. He's he's really it make the subject makes him sorrowful, which this, is not something he would you don't think he would he feel that way if yeah. it was just some common horror that he impregnated, let alone the the non the, the notion yeah. that he would never do such a when thing. When Robert brought it up, he didn't want to talk about it. When uh, both in the crypts, uh, mm-hmm. talking about how he had regard kidnapped Liana, he didn't want to talk about it. And then later on, they were like having a when they're on the road back to King's Landing, they had stopped to hunt or eat. I can't remember the scenario, but the Robert and Ned were eating uh, yeah. alone, and uh, and Robert were like, "Oh, what was the name of that whore?" I don't want to talk. About it. Don't want to talk. About it. Don't want to talk about it. You know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I feel like. Uh, so yes, I, I have been asked that question. I was kind of a, a clued into it a little bit before I ever watched it, but which has definitely made me pay attention to clues to that end, and and also keeps me. It definitely made me like the show more, knowing that there is this potential. It at, also at first it was this thing I was wondering if this might be the case. At this point, I think, oh, it's obviously <laughs> it's obviously <laughs> the case, uh, and it and it a lot of times makes me wonder about the long term story arc of Jon Snow. You know, if he's actually Targaryen, and if wait, does that mean are him and Danny actually brother and sister? No, it would be she would be if that's the case. If 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 Rhaegar is is Jon's father, then They're, she would be Danny would be his aunt because Danny is Rhaegar's sister. Danny is Rhaegar's. So John would be Rhaegar's child. Right, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 So Danny would be her her aunt. Aunt Danny. <laughs> but anyway, doesn't mean John could ride a dragon, which is funny because uh-huh. John is. Older than Danny. <laughs> yeah. uh, at the uh, <clears throat> premiere, we went to yeah for the, the episode and it had that costume contest. Did we talk about this at all? I can't remember if we talked I don't about remember. this in an episode. There was a costume contest. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, and, yeah, uh, I don't remember if we talked about it or not. Uh, there were, you know, a bunch of petite girls with white hair. They were obviously Danny and, uh, you know, one big dude with long hair was called Drago. And a few other characters that maybe if I was better would have recognized who they were, but they just looked like medieval guy to me or whatever <laughs> but there was one girl dressed in blue with a blue reef the blue roses and, which is specifically mentioned by Peter yeah. Baelish in this episode and a little <laughs> boy with a black cloak you know like dressed up like young Jon Snow and when and it was like an audience you know clap the audience went crazy they when they crazy. realized they did, who it was they did like rounds you know like clap for this person and they narrowed it down from like 20 to 8 to a winner or whatever and just he was that that woman, which was pretty clear, like it, it, it also was sort of a clue to me that everyone just knows. Everyone, it's not like this mystery that some people wonder about. It, everyone must just there was thousands of people in the audience, and everyone just went wild of applauding. Rhaegar and Rhaegar plus Lyanna equals John cosplay. Basically, yeah, is what it was. It was really amazing. Um, okay, so there's some other really interesting things said. We'll talk a little more about that as we get to the as into the crypt scene. But that's a good lead in. That's a teaser. We'll talk more R L plus L equals J later in the episode. But more on this scene, Melisandre points out, uh, first of all, Solis expresses more disappointment with her own child, and it's very sad that she's such a bad mother, and that gets balanced out later with Stannis's, you know, uh, misty, uh, misty scene there. <laughs> and But Melisandre says something interesting. She says, scars are nothing to the Lord of Light. She doesn't care about the, the grayscale scars and everything don't matter as far as I'm she's concerned. I'm still going to sacrifice that little girl. <laughs> <laughs> That is, uh, that's kind of where I was going with that. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but it's yeah. certainly that she's talking more about Mel, uh, her her features and not about her character and her person. She's saying her blood has this value. She's not saying Shireen has this value. It's very ominous. Now, Stannis 
is also saying that he there's a conversation with Stannis and Mel where they talk about how Mel says you you need to bring me on campaign this time. You messed up before, didn't you? And he's like, yeah. Now, any thoughts on Melisandre being a part of a campaign in the North? There, that's uh, that's interesting, isn't it? I'm not sure how much it really matters. Maybe just like a show of loyalty, or that he's really bought into the Lord of Light, or maybe that whether or not the North will accept. You know, like you know, they still are kind of attached to the old gods. And in fact, sometimes I wonder if how, how much of a theme there is in general to the gods. You know, how much of how much they of the story that's playing out is just Are the gods playing gods? around with yeah. the, the people involved. Uh, and maybe Melisandre's more in tune to that. You know, maybe a couple other characters, maybe the, I don't know what to call the character that Bronn encountered in the tree, uh, the three-eyed raven guy yeah. or whatever, you know. Maybe they have better understanding that we're just pawns in this <laughs> war among the gods and it's coming to a head. But uh, Or there could be no gods and there's just some sort of magic that people are tapping into and yeah. they they think that is evidence of they gods. Attributed yeah, to gods. Yeah, be, yeah but, there's a wide variety of possibilities there. But uh, I definitely, in my mind, I, I had this thought that, I don't know how much meaning is behind it, but just this flash of humor that I had when she said, uh, she said, you know, you need to take me along. And he's like, all right, all right, I'll come along. And uh, I can't remember the flow of the conversation, but she's, he said something. Oh, that's right. He said, I need you. Yeah. And she said, you don't need me. You just need faith or whatever it is. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, okay, fine. I won't take you then. <laughs> oh, you're right. I don't need you. You stay here. It's going to make Davos mad. <laughs> <laughs> now, then we, then we have a couple other scenes at the wall. I guess three in particular that are really powerful. First of all, well, one is a, a split scene, I suppose. We have John and Sam, and a theme here that's already become a bit of a theme. It's, it's, it's continuously being brought forward, and that is John's vows getting tested. First of all, he's tested kind of minorly by the idea of having to ask House Bolton for help. And he hates the idea, but John, Bran, or Sam says to him, no, we have no, you know, we have no side in this game. Remember, we're the Night's Watch, and they have men. They're the Warden to the North. How are we supposed to get men without them? You know, Sam appeals to him both practically and principally. Yeah. he's like, look, it shouldn't matter. Yeah, and also we really need it. Yeah, so. and also, hey, you know, another from a pragmatic perspective, if he wants Stannis to win, depriving Roose Bolton of a few men would be. Help. Of course, I don't expect Roose Bolton to actually send any men away while he's at war with Stannis, but that, you know, we'll see. <laughs> right, but he can't not send the letter. Right. I wonder if we'll see the receipt of that letter. I wonder if we'll see Bolton reading that letter and, and how he might respond if he just says, I hope we do. I hope that. we do. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see his reaction to how, what kind of a warden in the North he's going to be, if he's going to try to do, if, if he's going to, I don't suppose he cares in that he thinks it's his duty, but he might do the job of a dutiful Northman in, for political reasons to show that he's a good warden in the North. And how hard would it be to send prisoners off? You know? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have to send a lot of men, and it looks like he can make he can kind of play it up like, see, I've supported the wall, you know, but he really sends like 10 guys or something like that. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but that scene leads, gives way to a bigger test for John, and this is a very, very big moment here where John Melisandre basically tries to seduce John. And he's kind of staring at her breast, like, ah, breast. <laughs> then he snaps out of it and is like, ah, I'm in love. And just, and he kind of he gives a double reason of vows and love. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see those two things put together. It's almost like she doesn't really buy the duty argument. So he quickly brings up the love. He's like, yeah, but I'm still in love. I, yep, I shouldn't. But yeah, I know you can't love dead people, but I am. That's that, you know. It's, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's silly, but that's where I'm at. And... Some of her lines are very interesting. She's she's very pointed about the situation they're facing. This is not... There's only one war here. Life versus death. 
And she talks about all the things that the joining of life can do. And she, one line in particular is, is very ominous. She says, the joining of, of human, of life, can the power to create life. The power to cast shadows. That's a, whoa, power to cast shadows. When Melisandre and shadows are in the same sentence... You know, I you know I don't have to yeah. explain where that's going. That's what I thought was was might happen, or what she was trying to do was set up you know birth another shadow to go, I guess go do go something or you know maybe something else. He I seems know, like but, the target, but yeah, I don't know. By the way, that's another thought I just had, Melisandre, uh, and maybe you can help me even understand a little bit more about that religion. She talks a lot about life. The House of Black and White, they talk a lot about death. Mm-hmm. They sure do. <laughs> <laughs> Another sort of uh, countering religious thoughts. Yeah, they're kind, of a, they're kind of a death cult in a sense. They kind of believe that oh, they, they, they have respect for all the gods, but the god of death kind of triumphs over all because everyone dies. And Relorism, uh, we don't know the interplay between those two. Obviously, they had a, the Flaming Heart was one of the statues they had at the House of Black and White, so they clearly have some respect or observance of its existence and of course it's a huge religion in Essos in general so they couldn't not just they couldn't just ignore it but the interplay between those two hasn't really been explored that much that might be a very interesting thing to see later on especially the whole idea that if everyone all men must die yet you have resurrections (laughs) which is kind of a a counteractive uh, concept there those are opposing religious situations I suppose for lack of a better phrase then the huge moment she rejects John rejects her, and Egret comes up, and then she Wait, walks away. Sorry, real quick. Sure, it just occurred to me. There's another part. All men must die, but we've seen this exception. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not all men. Must all die. men must serve. Maybe there's exceptions to that too. <laughs> Some people don't have to serve. They just get to have everything done for them. <laughs> they get to sit around in hammocks and and drink. Uh, or or bowl. even if they're, I was thinking not so much lazy, independent. Mm, mm. I see, yeah. So, Melisandre is getting ready to leave, and she turns back and says, you know nothing, Jon Snow, and he's just... Yeah, that was really He good. doesn't know what... Yeah, that, that got me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sat yeah. forward. I had a several sit forward in my seat, little scoot to the edge, like, whoa, what just happened? Kind of moment, anxiety-type moments. As a book reader, it's been a while since I've felt that way. It's really fun. I really appreciate that ambiguity, too, because it easily could just be a coincidence, you know? Because he, he did say, he did use the word no. I can't remember what the line was, but he said, I know something, something, something. Yeah. And then she said, you know nothing. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it could just be appropriate coincidental banter. Yeah. But somehow, does she know? Does somehow, does she, <laughs> you know? It's very interesting. So that's a... Uh, developing situation uh, it'll, uh, ho- hopefully we get some more screen time between those two if Mel Saunders going south with Stannis and if he's leaving pretty soon there may not be a lot of opportunity left for them to interact but I want more John and Stannis I want more John and Mel and I hope we get it now the last scene at the wall is Stannis and Shireen and this is really the first time that Stannis is, has you know another side to his character he's like a better father you know, relatively speaking, than we've seen almost at all. You know, not not entirely. There's certainly better examples potentially, but this is up there. This is great. Like he just really rises to the occasion. He tell you know he tells this great story about how he put himself and other people at risk to you know, despite the fact that she had this infectious disease and he wouldn't give up on her. And I've seen a lot of people expressing, especially people who have daughters. Uh, you know, there's all this all the social media that I follow and people who talk to us. 
that scene really resonated with with fathers of daughters uh, and and mothers of daughters too, but particularly fathers because it was expressed as Stannis, not as Shireen or Selyse, who was not such a good mother. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what are your thoughts on that scene, Sean? That's I thought it was very a really moving scene and it kind of set up some some of the tragedies that came a bit later, and it might be setting up this to be tragic. I, I really like that scene a lot. I, I've I've always sort of been a fan of Stannis. I many times I a think I kind of kind of pointed out you know, uh, things about him that I like, and sometimes things about him presented in ways that are, at a minimum, perceived, if not intended to be negative, but I always, like, don't disagree, you know. <laughs> uh, I've, I've said it before, I'll go to Michigan again, because we're talking about him. I feel like a lot of times people think he's, he doesn't have spine, he waffles, he does whatever Mel Saunders says, da-da-da, but, and I even see why people say that, but I still feel like he's the one person who actually listens to counsel. He's, you know, like so many times someone makes his decision, has some flaw, the flaw is pointed out, and they just disregard it and go ahead with this bad plan. Happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas Stannis will have this idea, and Melisandre will say, no, wait, what about this? And he'll be like, okay, fine, we'll do that. <laughs> and then he'll say, and then Davos will say, wait, 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 what about this? And I'm like, oh, you're right, we'll do that. He actually <laughs> listens to the people who are counseling him more so than almost anyone else, and I don't know, it gets oftentimes yeah. talked about negatively, but I think he's one of the better leaders and they even said he's the most. What? Littlefinger said he's the best military, yeah, military commander, commander in Westeros. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so he is very reserved, and he can be very stubborn and cold, and on and on and on. But and so I so love this scene where we see this other side to him that is very mm-hmm. caring, and and specifically, I, I it was genuine. I'm going to say I like when he got. The scene was good in general. It also kind of brought a little Shireen out. She's a clever little girl, you know what I mean? And a little bull, too. And and I liked that they kind of went back and forth a little bit, you know, like, oh, you just need to... You know, my dad told me when I was bored, oh, were you bored a lot, too? You know, they kind of went back and forth. (laughs) That was nice. But he still seemed slightly preoccupied, you know? But when she said, you know, do you love me or are you ashamed of me? He just dropped his pen, stopped what he was doing, gave her his full attention and told this story and brought such a big smile to her and I love that scene. Yeah, it was really good. It was good. He and he you know, they, the way it was done, the 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 acting and just the Stannis like pauses before hugging her and he you know, he hugs her at the end. Yeah, it was good. it was uh it was a misty eyed scene for sure. But there was something else discussed in the scene. The 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 subject uh, one of the main subject matter uh points in the in that scene was grayscale again they discuss grayscale and how it was in this case it's more specifically pointed out that he she got it through this doll which of course makes stannis adds more lends more strength to the scene stannis has a has an element of feeling guilty for for you know his role in giving her this toy that had turned out to be infected but he also mentions he says a, it's almost a throwaway line if you're not really keyed into it. He says you're not. He's like I, you're. She's you're my daughter, and I wasn't going to have you go live in Valyria with the other stone men. And that is very peculiar because the map. If you this is something that's going to slip by a lot of people because the geography. It's not like they show maps on screen, but. Right now, where Tyrion and Jorah are, they're in Volantis. They're leaving Volantis. They have to pass Valyria to get to Marine. Mm-hmm. And there's just all this talk about Grayscale and this area. And now and we, we have only these two characters who are about to pass by there. So we could be seeing stone men. We could be seeing someone get infected. We could be seeing an outbreak. Lots of possibilities there. I, yeah, I want to point out something. I, I thought that it was uh, like a birth defect. And in this episode, I started to realize, oh, it's contagious. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so, which also makes more sense thinking about how Carster wanted to separate. Yeah, Craster, yeah. Craster. And they do keep mentioning it, so it does seem like it might be something, an outbreak is probably something that's going to happen. It's, it's certainly and something's uh, going to happen. Four, I believe it's been mentioned all four episodes, and in some cases more than once. So, yeah, we're, we're really, we're headed for something grayscale-wise. And I don't know what it's going to be. It should be fun. Or, or it could be really tragic and gross. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a good pivot to talk about your interior, because that is the area of the world that they're in and getting close to. We see that Jorah maybe has a little bit of honor left. He gives the, he takes the ship from this guy, but gives him some money. Yeah. <laughs> and we get a great line, what a waste of a good kidnapping. And we get to see Tyrion do his thing, where he kind of tries to talk his way out of things. And he hasn't talked his way out of anything yet. But you can <laughs> tell that he's had an impact on Jorah, his words. Wait, he hasn't talked out of himself out of anything here with Jorah or ever? No, here. He's, okay. he's talked himself out of a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but he hasn't fully, he hasn't talked his way out of this yet, but he's definitely talked his way at least out of being gagged and, and Jorah's starting to... He's definitely planting some seeds in Jorah's mind. What did you think about Jorah's plan? Tyrion, Tyrion calls it desperate. What do you think? Do you think Tyrion is exaggerating to try and change his mind or do you think Tyrion's pretty much telling it like it is? Well, I don't know if Tyrion necessarily even wants to change his mind. I guess maybe... Because it, it seems like Tyrion is sold on the idea of going to see her. Maybe... Once he's separated from Varus, he doesn't care as much anymore, but he still has got to be worried about Cersei hunting him down. Mm-hmm. I suppose, though, showing up with Varus, who has a plan to ally, as opposed to showing up with Jorah, who has a plan of sacrifice, you know, it might. I suppose Desperate's fine. Uh, I don't know if Tyrion's necessarily playing it up, or if Tyrion even necessarily has it all figured out yet. He just doesn't want to be, you know... He just doesn't want to be tied up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, man, I, I was just waiting for Tyrion to say something. I was a little disappointed with Jorah, I'll say. I feel like Jorah has been... Obviously, he's like made mistakes in his life, but I feel like they present his character as being someone who tries to do the right thing, has made mistakes, and is trying to make amends for them. And even some of the things that are bad or mistakes are maybe questionable as to whether or not they were in the first place. Like, when he's spying on Danny. Like, maybe he continued for too long. But in the first place, on some level, don't forget, Robert Baratheon and Varys and all the other, many, Littlefinger, other characters that on some level were rooting for, whether or not they're good or whether they should root for him, they all wanted to murder Danny. you know? <laughs> and so, why is Jorah the well, bad guy for spying on her? Well, apparently Varys didn't actually uh, want to murder, murder Bar- Daenerys. He may not have, but he <laughs> at least, Jorah may not have wanted to spy on her. See what I'm saying? But on some level, Varus is going along with this. On some level, Jorah is going along with this. He wants redemption. He wants to go back to his home. He, like, Danny wanted to go back home. And so she has her husband declare war and rape and pillage and murder. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't, I get my understanding of the position that Jorah is in. I don't, yeah. I, I, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I still think he's honorable. And if he's not, then there's almost no character in the show that we can consider to be honorable. And, uh, I think he suffers from just not being very likable because he's, you know, he's he pines for Danny and he he's kind of helplessly in love and it's, and he's, you know, the the idea that he tried to sell people into slavery, which is objectively not so bad compared to so many other ha- awful things people do. It's still definitely a very bad thing. But you're, I see what you're saying that there's right. so many other it's awful a, things done right. by so many other characters. It's yeah. hard to really may, condemn yeah. him. But I still don't like him. It may be, yeah, <laughs> it may be a bad thing, but Khal Drogo is going to do the same thing. And yeah. he was doing it partly for Danny. Now, of course, Danny has turned around. He's trying to make amends for this. So has Jorah, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my point to all this is that when he just, like, smacks Tyrion, like, what? You 
freaking jerk guy. <laughs> I was waiting for Tyrion to make a comment, like trying to get it convinced him to untie him or whatever. I just thought he was going to say something like, what, you can't handle an unarmed dwarf? You know, you're not good enough of a knight to handle And so that's, I We're thought... We're in a boat, what am I going to do? Yeah, I thought that was off? Tyrion's angle to get himself untied. And instead, Jorah smacks him to the ground. And I... So... I was disappointed or frustrated, but again, I'm trying to imagine Jorah is kind of lost. He yeah, is kind of desperate, yeah. and Tyrion is pushing his buttons, and not that Tyrion deserved it in any way, but, and not that I'm not still disappointed in Jorah, but <laughs> I, I will say I do expect Jorah to kind of come around. I, hmm. I do think before the end of this, Jorah and Tyrion are going to be closer allies. Yeah, it should be fun seeing them have dialogue. The show has had a lot of great one or two characters traveling together, some sort of journey. Arya and Sandor, Sansa and Littlefinger, Brienne and Pod. There's and a lot of times there's a lot of great dialogue comes out of these things. Uh, so and pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we get a little that uh, with Tyrion and Jorah. Some good good conversation, some good back and forth. So far Jorah hasn't said much though. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how that goes. So going farther east, we have the destination of Jorah and Tyrion. We have Marine. We have Hisdar being very persistent about the fighting pits. This is an issue... Not exactly like Grayscale, but similar in that it keeps getting brought up. It's something that Hisdar keeps asking for. Danny keeps saying no, but it seems like she might be starting to waver a little bit. And the fact that the show keeps bringing it up in itself is a clue, just like Grayscale. What do you think? Do you think Hisdar is going to succeed in convincing her to open the pits? Well, again, we have a couple clues from the previews to the season. Yeah. We have, we saw a scene where they're in some sort of arena. Yeah. And a bunch of, you know, armed men all around. It seems like a pretty, good, pretty straightforward so, foreshadowing. Yeah. That's not so, even foreshadowing. That's telling yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, what the nature of it will be, when and why it's happening, how it resolves, I can imagine it. I'm wondering if it'll be, you know, Daniel will like, okay, fine, allow it. And then it turns out to be a mistake. Because I feel like over and over again, she keeps doing things that turn out to be mistakes. Yeah, she you know? keeps getting so, pushed into something and then yeah. deciding that she shouldn't have allowed herself to yeah. do that. Although this is one thing I feel like she should do. I do kind of feel like she should do this thing. I feel like most of the other mistakes she made, I saw thought, why are you doing this? Don't do that. You know, this <laughs> one, like, why don't you do this? You know, so. you wonder if she's going to decide if she, because you're right, it does seem like she's, the fighting pits are going to get open one way or the other. You wonder if she's going to gonna decide it herself. If his daughter is going to finally convince her, or if Tyrion shows up control. finally, or Varys shows up, and, and one of them pushes for it more. And we see... Or if maybe it happens outside their control. Maybe they just do it anyway. And, you know, like, she's losing her grip. She's, a couple key members just got killed. There's riots in the streets. You know what I mean? Like, maybe... It, uh, I yeah, don't know. That's we'll possible, see. We'll for see. sure. Um, Grey Worm, and then so we. But while this is happening, while they're having this conversation, he talks about the importance of tradition. It seems like this, and he says this is the day the fighting pits would be open. So you think yeah. that maybe that's why the Sons of the Harpy made their move on this day because it's the day that this tradition is being broken. So they're it's like they're celebrating it in their own way. Well, if we're not going to have pit fighting, we're going to go kill people in the streets. So, ha, we got you. <laughs> and so I think that was a bit of a timing on their part. I think that was intentional. Now. We get Barristan's kind of heroic last stand and Grey Worm's maybe last stand. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. It seems like Grey Worm's injuries can be survived. Barristan, I really don't think so. It looked like he took several really nasty blows. He didn't get his coat, his throat cut. You had a suggestion for why might? I think that if Barristan isn't dead, I'll be upset with the, the film. I feel like they're taking <laughs> it back. I feel like it's like a fake out, that yeah. I, I, I think, which I think they're above. I, I'm pretty sure he's dead. 
But I think him not getting his slow threat maybe is some sort of like, you know, a gray worm, want to respect his honor, and and I can even imagine maybe a uh, uh, a logistical reason for the show so they don't have to like have a you know what I mean? They can have a funeral having a you know. Uh, or they can maybe they can get last words out. To yeah, that's what I was thinking. Dies, maybe, maybe he has something know. other line to utter. Maybe I don't know yeah. what it could be. It's not like he can. Reveal some big secret. Uh, he might. He certainly knows some things about Danny's past, and that was. Well, by the that way, was what he lo- that was the thing that was. We were just seeing how much he has to offer Danny. This might be a little bit of a tangent, but could he reveal a big secret? It might not be a big secret to Grey Worm. Maybe not even to Danny. But does he know who Jon Snow? Who else was there? Who else knows? Who else could possibly know? He probably wouldn't know that. Um, he would know some things about Danny's family. He would know things about Rhaegar, which he already showed. He would know things about Ares. He would know things about her grandfather. He was Kingsguard to her grandfather. But well, wasn't uh, he Harris. one of the Kingsguard that was there with Lyanna Stark? No. Like, I, I have this vague memory. He was at the tournament that Pete, that Littlefinger described. All the Kingsguard right. were there except yeah. Jamie. And uh, at the time, because Jamie was sent home. <laughs> and because Ares, you know, was a jerk. And he, so... He was there, but he wasn't privy to any inform- any special information there. He would he would have seen he would know the basic events, but he wouldn't necessarily know any secrets. But he would know things Danny doesn't know. But other people right, know right. those things too. But this is this is the type of thing that I suspect or wonder about uh, as far as Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar and Jon Snow. Right? Yeah. If you were to like flash forward ten years, twenty mm-hmm. years, or whatever, and Stories are being told of the past, and you're thinking of characters in the past, and who and what would be known by who and why and how, right? Yeah. Would Bronn know that Marcella is Jamie's daughter? Well, he figured it out. Should yeah. he know? Right, yeah. he figured it out. Yeah. Barrison could probably figure it out, Barrison, too. Yeah, but Barrison isn't cunning like that. Barrison isn't that kind of guy. He's not the kind of guy who, who He may not be cunning, but he's closer to it. That's he's true. He's the actual Kingsguard. Braun was... Uh, well, let me tell you who does know. Let me you know. tell you who definitely knows okay. who is still around. It's Varys. Varys was right. there as yeah. well. Okay. So he would... And he is all obviously going to have figured things out and knows the secrets and is allegedly an ally of Danny. So he is perhaps who can step in and, and fill her in on some things if she trusts him. But Barristan knew Rhaegar personally and knew, you know, had a friendship with him, whereas Varys was an advisor to King Aerys and probably wasn't all that close to Rhaegar. But that is something we'll have to see how that plays out, how the show decides to spin that or not. And that, but the big, but a big thing about this that I think is important and underlying, an underlying theme is that Danny is now even farther from her family because Barrison was sort of a connection, connection yeah. to yeah. someone who knew, who had intimate details, personal details, not just like secrets, but just knew about their personalities, could, could tell them, hey, my, your grandfather was like this, your father, you know, he liked, he liked kittens, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> uh, or Mike burning kittens. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she lost that, that's a big thing yeah. for her, like it's, she's, that's a, you can, you know, you can health that she's very detached from her own existence she doesn't know how to train dragons she doesn't know much about her family she thinks she didn't know that her father was mad which is common knowledge until barristan yeah. told her and she seemed to be put in a good mood by the story about rhaegar too, she very know? good mood yeah. yeah it was a very big smile she got there <laughs> yeah. go sing a song for me all right now let me do all this other stuff the song of steel in the streets yeah. and, <laughs> and death and oh yeah that was very sad very tragic 
hated seeing Barrison go down. He did really acquit himself well. He took out a lot of Sons of the Harpy. He was there was some cool choreography there. He was like making some cool moves, like getting in front of people and sword going at nice angles and everything. It's a little weird for Unsullied to be patrolling narrow city streets with big long spears. That is just not. That's just a piece of realism that they overlooked. That's silly. <laughs> it it also might be on some level. They might actually be doing it, even if it's not realistic and is silly, because uh, Dario has already pointed out you guys aren't actually doing a good job here. You know what I mean? That's like, a good point. Yeah, Dario is trained like, for this certain well, thing, yeah. and this isn't it. You know, yeah. patrolling city streets is not what Unsullied are meant to be doing. You know, that's a very good point. So it kind of has been established already that they're not well equipped for this. And you saw how they just got led into an ambush, and you know they weren't yeah. really ready for that. They, you know, yeah, they were. Cunning uh, is not the, the unsullied strong point yeah, by yeah. any means. Let me ask another question. It's something I'm like slightly uncertain about. Sons of the Harpy, is that what this group is called? Yes. This sort of cult. Mm-hmm. Are they uh who do they represent? Who do they They represent the old slave masters. The masters, the slave masters. Mm-hmm. Um because which kind of makes sense, that's why they would be against them, but that moment when they came in and slaughtered a bunch of men and then went off and then a guard show up, and the woman is like over the man, like, oh my god, I can't believe this happened. They went that way, and they run, and she kind of looked up with this sort of this sinister look, like she was sort of, you know. She led like, them into the trap, yeah, yeah. And I could be wrong, but I perceived her as a commoner, a former slave. Maybe she was part of the cult? I don't know, I thought that was, well, it's, it made it's me not question really a, who the Sons of the Harpy were it isn't, fighting for. I wouldn't call or, them a cult, because they're really just a resistance movement, you know. Okay. They're not, there's not, there's no, like, religion or anything to it. They're no? just, okay. the Harpy is just a symbol of Marine, that's just the symbol of Slaver's Bay. All the three cities, all the three Slaver's Bay cities have a Harpy as part of their sigil. Uh, did they not exist before Danny showed up? They did not, no. The Sons of the Harpy are, are, mm. are a group that formed because of her occupation. Okay, that's something I didn't understand. Yeah. I thought they were a group that had been there all along, and now was, like, becoming violent. No, uh, as, I mean, it's that, again, yeah, this is something that I'm speaking from a book reader's perspective, that they did not exist before. I don't think they existed before in the show either. It's possible that they did, but it's it hasn't been said, so I can assume that it's the same as the books where they're just an organization that formed in response to her occupation. There's a lot of, there's some implied, you know, cultural rejection there. They, they want their culture upheld there you know there's like a bit of you know hey our culture is the best it's like xenophobia slash racism slash cultural superiority they're like Giscari culture is best Miranese culture is best we got to do things the Miranese way we can't have this foreigner coming in here and changing things it's very offensive to them because remember in the in the ancient past it was the Targaryens that destroyed the Miranese that, that conquered these cities in the first place or not the Targaryens sorry the Valyrians conquered these cities took them away from the Giscari in a series of five wars between ancient Valyria and ancient old geese the Giscari empire so this is also why they, they fell for her dragon trick. Like, oh, I'll give you a dragon. Because they have wanted dragons for so long because that's why they lost those wars. The Valyrians had dragons. They didn't. So they lost all five of those wars. A lot of them were enslaved, conquered, taken over, etc. There's this long cultural embitterment against Valyrians and dragons and Daenery. Da- Daenerys is one of them. So they really, really hate that. Plus she's freeing the slaves and yeah. the slaves are their, yeah. like their livelihood and their money, um, etc. So, and, and the source of their power. So there is... Full-blown cultural, economic, and just old blood reasons to hate her. So that's why they're so fanatic, and there's a number of them, and why they're so pretty effective. I mean, they're effective. They're they're they, you know they're doing they're getting a lot done, even though uh, I don't think that they're going to come out ahead in the long run. <laughs> oh, Danny loses. She's dead. Yeah, the Sons of the Harpy are now the new player, and they're going to come and invade Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> 
with their spooky bronze masks. Uh, any more thoughts on what is going to happen now? Like this is a, this is a, an opportunity for us to maybe make a few predictions or to think about Danny's perspective now. Okay, even if Grey Worm survives, I think he probably survives. He's he's probably out of action for a little while. Barristan's down. She's down to kind of just Dario as a fighter, as her like close yeah, yeah. confidant fighter type. But she's got more on Sully. But they're not, you know, they're just they're soldiers. They're not leaders. So I guess this kind of underscores the need for more advisors, even more so than before. Uh, but any, there's other possibilities, I suppose, as well. Um, that I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. What what maybe is next for Danny now that she has this problem has gotten a lot bigger. Her own men have gotten killed. A lot of them. It's this organized resistance. It's not just these here and there murders popping up. It is an organized network. People who are opposed to her. And they're violent and deadly. And well, and that's another thing I was kind of like trying to clarify is that she is now she's default unpopular with the slave owners for all the stuff we just talked about. And these harpies are a faction of them. But she's also made herself unpopular with the, the common people by beheading uh She's got big problems. I can't remember his name, but the <laughs> Masador. Masador, yeah. right. So uh She had a Ricard Stark moment, yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe she'll get some uh new sympathy from the commoners for this having happened you know maybe they'll but or maybe she'll just lose her temper and get you know embarrassed and she's mad that barristan is dead and like overplay because again that's she has it's arguable that <laughs> she i mean it's again it's not like it's her fault but remember she was warned she's she, yeah, was, she was the, warned. the first unsullied that was killed mm-hmm. she's like we'll have a a ceremony, a burial, public, in their own church, da-da-da, you know, yeah, right? She, yeah, and, that was her and temper, getting Barristan or someone was said, no, that'll make him upset. I want him to be upset. I want to make it public. I, I want to, I want to bring that. him out, right? Yeah. Oh, so, well, this is, she got it. She got what she wanted, you it's, know? It's yeah, like, it's the same thing. She fights fire with fire when that's not, you know, she doesn't, she, she needs to have more nuance and, and to yeah. handle problems a different way. This is, this is back to that, you know, I see a problem, I see an obstacle, I try to beat it down. And, and I can't decide not, what... Again, it's not working. I'm not sure... One, like, mistakes have been made. I would have done things different before. But now, at this point, one, I can't think of what she, quote-unquote, should do or what she's likely to do. Because I feel like what she's likely to do in the past is, like, just go over the top even further. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, So it doesn't make sense that she's going to be... Maybe it will. Maybe this will be the onus for her to say, okay, fine, we'll have these tournaments. I'd rather have blood in the arena than blood in the streets. Mm. I've made a lot of people upset. If this will make them happy, I'll make them happy. But it, I can see her like standing her ground. Like I'll never do it now. Maybe before, but after this. <laughs> but it seems like that's a smaller group of people who are more in the wrong in the first place that she'll be spiting. Where she can appeal to a larger group of people that maybe she feels bad about having wronged in the first place. If this is what you all want, okay, fine. We'll have the arena. You know that maybe, maybe that. It seems like that's where it's headed. She's she. Yeah. That's the one thing she's going to give in on because she's got. It seems like she has to give in on something unless she just wants to keep just being stubborn and just fighting everything rather than trying to compromise. But if you're right, if that's that seems to be a compromise that's been foreshadowed partly because of the trailers, but also because it's been brought up so much and yeah. because Hisdar isn't exactly pointing out other things she can do. <laughs> it's not like she's been giving. Yeah. There's some other traditions you could uphold. Unless you have more thoughts, let's move on to our final location where there are some very juicy things happening. Some things that we've sort of touched on already, but there's a lot more to discuss with regards to that. Of course, I'm talking about the Winterfell Crypts, the very interesting and shadowy location. We start it with um, Sansa 
touching a feather, blowing some dust off of a feather. That feather was placed there by Robert Baratheon in the very first episode of the show, shortly after he names Ned Hand of the King, and they start to kind of lament together over losing her, and Robert is still very emotional about her, even after 17-some-odd years that she died back then. And it's... A moving scene, it's also very revealing. Littlefinger kind of appears very stealthily. You don't even hear him walking up. <laughs> You'd think that the, his boots would rattle quite loudly in that hall, but I guess he's learned how to walk lightly. Mm-hmm. Littlefinger and... She does even take note later on. You're toes. dressed for riding. Yeah, you're dressed for riding. Yeah. <laughs> riding and sneaking. <laughs> and, sne- and sneaking. Sneakers for sneaking. Uh, so he tells the story of the tournament at Hall. Now, this is a pretty big moment. Rhaegar... The key moment, Rhaegar wins the tournament and rides past his own wife, a Martell, the same Elia Martell that Oberyn was fighting for vengeance for. And instead of giving her the Queen of Love and Beauty, which is a traditional title that uh, is given, to, chosen by the victor uh, to honor a specific woman, it's all, you know, usually, <laughs> usually it's your wife that you honor or someone that you're trying to win over or show yourself worthy of but in front of everyone in front of robert who was betrothed to liana at the time in front of john aaron in front of the mad king in front of all the king's guard except jamie like i said in front of a bunch of other characters some of whom may or may not appear on the show but ned stark was there brandon stark you know liana's older brother and so many big names and, and names who aren't mentioned, but who are, are big names, you know, if they were mentioned, they're just other high lords, you know. This was a, one of the biggest tournaments in recent memory in its time. So it attracted people from all over. Just imagine that. He just rides past his own wife and gives this laurel to Lyanna Stark. And people are just like, what the hell? Where did that come from? And he's and and Littlefinger says, and I've never is I've never heard it more quiet. You know, people just were shocked. That by itself was one of the biggest things that led to the rebellion in the first place. And it's really neat to see. And I, one of the things I love about the story that the show is, is doing a good job, at least hitting some of these high points. There's some that they let leave out, and I wish they hadn't. But that's you know we got to accept some cuts. It shows that there is a back a, a, a functioning excellent backstory that explains all these events and why this rebellion happened. There's a lot of nuance to it and it shows a lot of these same characters, a lot of these same families were involved. A lot of these same people had some of the same things that they were after that long ago. And it just, it's like, it's like history repeating itself in some, in some ways. So I wanted to get your thoughts in general on this is all, a lot of this is things that some of us book readers have thought about a lot, but for show people, it's it's very new, and I really am curious to hear the opinions on someone that, uh, you know, from your opinion on, on some of these things that you haven't necessarily been alerted to as much, especially some of the details. Even though you said you've you've been a- aware of the concept of Rhaegar and Leon and all that, some of these details I know you haven't heard before. Yeah, I, I this is a thing I did know. I did know about this tournament. Uh, it's I'm trying to remember when... Vince, I've been following a show for so long, and I and it's become such a part of my life. Even I can't, I just know it all at this point. I can't remember exactly when I knew which thing at what point, but uh, but I think that I knew, if not before I started watching the show, before I finished the first season, I knew the story of this tournament. Okay, and I and I knew that, I think before I watched the first episode, I think that I knew that 
there had been a rebellion, that Jamie actually killed the king, that Robert and Ned grew up as brothers. I knew a lot of that stuff. And I, and I certainly knew before the end of the first season, if not before I saw the first episode, about the story of that tournament. I knew a lot of the setup to right. the state of the world at the beginning of the show. Which maybe on some level, quote-unquote, spoiled certain things for me, but I also think it enriched it greatly, you know. Um, and uh, It's a little of both, yeah. So, It'd be nice to hear your and, completely unspoiled opinion, but having some and, of the back spo- backstory it also allows you to think more thoroughly through it. Yeah, yeah. And also, even though I might have known some of that stuff, I still have questions. I still wonder. I still, <laughs> there's still other things I know that I don't perfectly understand or don't know the timing of or don't know the implications of. As you can hear me even asking, because I, I, I don't know if it's something I've heard people talk about or something that was mentioned in the show or if I even read, but I just, there was like a slightly changing topic from this tournament because I wanted to ask about, I thought there was a moment where Liana gave birth. Like in the midst of the rebellion, the King's Guard wasn't with the King, they were with her, and she died during childbirth, or died maybe not clear during childbirth. And I thought that Ned was there or aware of it, and other King's guards were also there or aware of it. Is that? Am I asking too much for that story to be told to me? Is that something that hasn't <laughs> nah. come up or I should know all about? I, I don't know if that's been touched on in the show, so yeah, I won't say too much about that. But you're not far off. There's some. There's some. It's certainly, some of those details are probably going to be conserved in the show. It's hard to say, but. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of mystery around the circumstances of Liana's death and whether or not she was carrying a child, and how you know what happened to that child. Assuming if it's not John, then who is it? And if it is John, then you know how did John get to be where he is, and how did you know how did Ned yeah. take care of all that? How, however, I learned it, or wherever, and the, why did he do that? It got That's to be in my mind. I I. My understanding was that Roberts thought that Lyanna Stark was kidnapped and raped. Was and Sansa backs this which, up, which he also, Sansa also, at a minimum, believes uh, was like the party line. It's the explanation yeah. that mm-hmm. had to be given because otherwise it would have implications. Yeah, because Robert probably... was the king. You can't go saying these things right. about when Robert's king because, you know, you can't say that, oh, he know, she didn't love you or anything like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> even if someone knew, they can't say it to him. Yeah. Uh, that, and even if they did, in fact, even if he knew, he couldn't admit to it. He couldn't yeah. admit it to mm-hmm. himself that mm-hmm. she he was so in love with her, he just couldn't accept that she wasn't in love with him. And it's so much easier for him to have this enemy to hate, to rebel against, and, and on and on and on, you know, so. And there's also the issue that Robert has this burning hatred of Targaryens. He wanted to murder Daenerys. He wanted Viserys yeah, dead. He yeah. wanted to kill Rhaegar over and over and over, even though he had already killed him. So you can see the importance of John's identity if he is a Targaryen oh, yeah. not getting out <laughs> Ned would know that <laughs> Robert, Robert would, would chop his head become off. his enemy John Ned is not going to allow a child of his own family to just be killed so that would cause a huge conflict thus the need to uh, at least this is a this all fits which, as a reason for why John's identity would be concealed which by the way just need to think about how when Ned figured out it's like sort of parallel the identity of Cersei's children. He went to Warner. He's like, "Look, you need to get out of here. Rob's gonna chop their heads off." Like he kind of, you know what I mean? He wanted to give her a yes. chance. He, you know, it's, I, I didn't <laughs> think about this before, but he was in the same boat as on some level. You know what I mean? There's like a some sort of 
parallel or bond or connection or concern he had that he wanted to share with Cersei, you know? Yeah, and yeah, he just didn't have all the information, but <laughs> but yeah, that's a really interesting, huh? So you, and you get the the this. What do you think about and who do you think is telling the truth? You have Ray, you have both Sansa and Robert saying that Rhaegar kidnapped and raped Lyanna. You have Littlefinger suspiciously not reacting to that comment. He doesn't say anything when she says, "Yeah," she, he just she just kind of looks at her like hmm, and doesn't say anything. And Let's kinda, go where the dead can't hear us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but on the other hand, we have Barristan, who knew Rhaegar better than either of them by far, and he has all these positive things, very, yeah. very glowingly positive, like affectionate and like. Your That's something I was talking about man. earlier. That there, there was a purpose for that scene. It was multi-purposed. Yeah. One was to kind of. Show a connection between Barristan and Danny, mm-hmm. but another was and, and yeah. so, right, and and there's several other factors too. But I think a primary purpose of that moment was to paint Rhaegar in a positive light. Mm-hmm. He wasn't this villain. He's not the type of guy that's going to kidnap or rape someone. That there's another side to this. You know? Yeah, it's really big, and it also and 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 it's given credibility. You wonder, you think, oh, what are the clues to saying to looking up? It's like, well, who's telling the truth? Who's being more honest here? Barristan seems like he's an honest guy. He would tell the truth. He told the truth about King Aerys. To her. Yeah, he told yeah. it to the face. That gives him extra he, credibility. He told the for tough the, truth. So why would he lie about Rhaegar if he's going to tell the yeah. truth about her father? So it, it seems like Barristan is probably the one telling the truth, and Sansa, like you yeah. said, is just it's repeating not like what she was lying, told. It's just what she was told, and right. the, you can see why she was told that. Yeah. yeah, you can't have that truth getting out, especially with with Robert and Ned's friendship being what it is. You can't. You don't want that to be damaged it puts ned in a really awkward spot though. <laughs> obviously oh, yeah, he's like yeah. well if my best friend finds out who this child is we're gonna have a war <laughs> yeah. so which incidentally mm-hmm. it's another thing too about jamie it's so hard to excuse him trying to kill a boy but he think what would have happened think what 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 is jamie supposed to do uh, hey brand please don't tell anyone thank you you know like and his brand just knocking it like and then once someone finds out what's gonna happen like it it would have been war it would heads were gonna roll it's yeah. the same reason Full robert blown civil war yeah same reason robert wanted to kill danny the same reason ned didn't want robert to know john's identity they, these are tough decisions it's not like jamie wants to go out and kill kids but he just realized the implications <laughs> and made the tough call. And obviously, I'm not condoning killing kids or any other terrible things that Jamie's done. But I don't want to condone any things that Khal Drogo did. I don't want to condone things that Robert did. And I can, I don't, there's no, not a character in the show that, like, even the more noble characters, I don't think Ned should have chopped off that guy's head at the, who deserted in the prologue. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like. Knowing what we know, anyway. Yeah, knowing <laughs> what we know. But, and I wonder. Maybe some stuff got skipped over, but did he get a trial? Did that guy get a trial? Someone said, hey, he deserted. All right, chop his head off. Don't okay, forget he admitted, about, you know. he admitted to deserting. That's true. That's true. But um, and it, was, not, it was very obvious that right. he did anyway. There's no way yeah. around that. <laughs> uh, I'm rambling a little bit, but but my point is that I, I try to see, I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded about the motivations and true character of the personalities that we're watching in this show and that I don't think that Jamie is... I think it's fair for someone to call Jamie an evil man, but I don't necessarily think he is. And I think that calling Jamie an evil man requires you to call 
ninety percent of the characters in the show evil, and yeah, maybe ninety percent of the characters in the show are evil. It's know, very but, difficult uh, to to decide what is good and evil because their morality and their cultures are so it's different than ours. It's really right. difficult, like comparing our cultures to these people. They're all terrible, and the, and <laughs> but the, that's not fair. Right. And the positions that they're in too, because that's a big part. I think what this show is about is yeah. that when you're the king or in a position of power, it doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do. It means you constantly family. have to do things you don't want to do. John didn't want to cut off Janice Lunt's head, but he had to, you know, and even though it was justifiable in a million ways, he still didn't want to do it, but he still had to, you know. It's something along the lines, I believe, this is a, a line, a, a, not a spoiler, but it's a line from the books that I, I think it's Tyrion, maybe, I don't know who says it, but it's, it's it's from earlier on in the books, and he says something like, we're all dancing on the strings of those who came before us. We're all following, you know, they're all, everyone, our fathers and grandfathers, we're all just like, we're all heavily impacted by their choices and their desires and the way they live their lives. It all, it affects, it's very like a karmic statement. It's very, it's like Buddhist almost, but it's also just reality. That is true. Like every single one of us here is, is heavily impacted by our ancestors, the decisions that they made, where they chose to live, how many children they had. Who they chose to enslave. <laughs> yeah, bigger, yeah, like much larger scale, things like that. It's what a, religion they chose to follow. So, very, very interesting and very provocative discussions between Littlefinger and, and Sansa along the lines of this whole Rhaegar-Lyanna uh, idea. And another another thing I wanted to bring up, actually, with, with regards to Ned. This, it, 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 it puts a, a lot more perspective on why Ned... Is takes the issue of killing Daenerys and her child so personal oh, because he's in the same spot she's in with Jon Snow. If Jon Snow yeah. is his nephew and not his child, either way, it's his blood. He's like, damn it, Robert, why do you want to kill these innocent children? It's like it's, 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 he's hated it <laughs> it's for the so long. Being set, and it's it? it's an argument yeah. in in season one. They have that argument. And Ned resigns because he's so upset about this. It's, it's 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 not just that they had argued about that a long time. They argued about the same thing. Right during during the war, when when the bodies of Elias' children were presented to Robert, he kind of breathed a sigh of relief, and, and he thought it was like a good. He thought it was like a good thing. This needed to be done. And Ned was furious. He's like, "No, this is killing children. This is the exact same. This is what we were standing up against. You know, this is this is why we yeah. rebelled." And so it's he's just Robert is being a hypocrite <laughs> to him, and he hates it. He's disgusted, and it's extremely personal. So he's very emotional about it because it's, it's all the stuff about, and it comes later that he finds out his sister is dead, and that just tears him apart. He's like his best friend has this attitude that's so that if he knew the truth would make them enemies, and he just it burns burns at him. He hates it so much, and you got to wonder. How much of that he was thinking about back in season, the first episode of season one when Robert is coming north again to offer him this job. He's in the back of his mind. He's like, I still got this secret is still burning. I yeah. still have to keep this damn secret from Robert. <laughs> and it's a lot easier to keep the secret when I'm, when I'm home and he's away. Yeah, there's this distance. Deal with him every day. Yeah. So in the back of his mind, he had to be thinking about it. Even back then, he's like, well, good thing Jon Snow didn't come out with silver hair. <laughs> that would have put a real damper on the whole conceal the kids like all right well you're gonna have to shave your head <laughs> and keep it shaved who else keeps his head permanently shaved Varus. <laughs> yeah i don't know if that means Varus is rhaegar's son Varus <laughs> <laughs> would be much older than rhaegar but it has always been it always always been a, an interesting thing people think it was like why does Varus shave his head is he is something was something his hair is there anything going on there I have no idea, but it's a, it's a, it's a good question to think about. Like, why does Varys shave his head? Hmm. 
We'll certainly have more to talk about as far as John's parentage and Rhaegar and Leon. I'm sure there'll be more references to them in the rest of the season. Well, I'm not sure, but I hope there will be more. I can't imagine we'll just bring this up and then just not talk about it anymore. I guess it's possible, but I do expect more about it. There's one thing we haven't talked about yet before we wrap up today's episode, and that is Littlefinger's plans with regards to Stannis, what he expects, and his, his, what he tells Sansa she should be able to do. So let's talk about that. And what do you think of Littlefinger's plan? Uh, do you think it's reckless? Do you think it's a, a, a good gamble? Do you think he's analyzed it properly? Or do you think there's anything he's missing? Can you, can you think of anything that would make sense to go wrong, would be a, a, a good plot direction? Or... Minus... The wild card of, of Ramsey. Right, which he, it, you it know, seems, we talked about that already. Yeah, yeah Sansa even kind of troubleshot a little. She's like, well, what if we don't win? What if he doesn't come? Well, then you still are going to be married to this boy and you can manipulate him. Well, I don't know how, you know, you you learn from me. You she's got to do her, she's got to do what Marjorie's doing to Tom and is what he's kind of yeah. expecting, but maybe. And it was a little, <laughs> uh, at first when he said, you learned from the best, I, on some level, he probably was referring to himself. But I think on some level, he was referring to Cersei and she grew up in King's Landing. You know, we've seen that several times. The people in King's Landing understand his politics, and people outside of King's Landing don't. Cersei should should have it. You know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not only thinking about like what little. There's so much going on there because uh, Littlefinger's gonna leave, and we anticipate all kinds of stuff happening with him back in King's Landing. There's a, a powder keg there, like you said, right? <laughs> but additionally, Bran and Podrick are coming up here too, and Stannis is heading there, maybe with Melisandre. Is Shireen gonna come down too? And this battle is gonna bring his wife and child. And is Brienne? So that seems unlikely. Camp, bring him on campaign, but maybe. In the same way, I feel like they've had these moments to kind of prop up certain characters and relationships that just make the tragedy of them being killed off more sad. I wonder if Brienne is gonna kill Stannis. You know, like I, I, she wants revenge, and she doesn't know that he's a good father. She doesn't, even if she does, she might not care. And. Uh, and if in the midst of this battle, if Brienne perceives that Stannis is attacking Sansa, which he may even be in a certain way, uh, <laughs> and I, was, I wonder, if, does Stannis even realize that Sansa's there? And how would his <laughs> plans change if he did know that yeah. somehow? And like you brought up, there are a few people that know that she's not the last star. Including and, Ramsay. <laughs> yeah. So he might even think that Sansa's more expendable. I didn't think that until just well, now, he, but he, he might not her, be to worry about it. Ramsey needs her. Or he, he, Ramsey has no... I would think he still needs her because the, what, what gives him legitimacy is if they have a child together. And he's the father of a, of a Stark. And that, that gives him the real claim to Winterfell, a lasting claim to Winterfell. So I, that's why I think that Littlefinger's plan... We've talked about this a bit before in previous episodes, but Littlefinger's plan, the thing I, I, some people think is kind of reckless and I think isn't that reckless, even though Ramsey's a psycho and even though Littlefinger maybe could have figured that out somehow or learned that through his spy network, he's not wrong that she needs him or he needs her. He His claim does really depend heavily on Sansa and, and on her in general and her because she's a Stark. And even if... So basically Littlefinger has to think, has to predict that Ramsay is an idiot, let alone a psychopath, for him to throw this opportunity away. That doesn't mean he won't do awful things to her. I just can't imagine him killing her because yeah. her life is valuable to him more so than any one that exists there is no other stark girl for everyone thinks already is dead there's no other person that he can marry that gives him this kind of power and ramsey is not stupid yeah. he's crazy he's a psychopath 
Well, he doesn't think he, sometimes, but he is not stupid. Is he ambitious? He might not be stupid. He might not be ambitious. He might not care as much about being powerful or being Lord of Winterfell. Da da da. He that's cares a good about point. Not being bored, you know. Like that's a good point. But he he has shown he certainly wanted to prove himself as a Bolton. So I do think there's at least some ambition in him. His father seems ambitious. His father is absolutely yeah. ambitious. You don't you don't betray the king in the north yeah. and and make all those moves. You know, just just because I keep, <laughs> that's I keep, ambition. Yeah, I keep going through different scenarios, just trying to think of like what the most tragic thing that could happen would be, and uh, and especially given that we've had a moment like the Red Wedding, where just left to right, a bunch of characters die all at once. I'm just trying to imagine some scenario where like Ramsay's torturing Sansa, and Theon kills Ramsay. <laughs> That's not yeah. the most. That's I don't think that's that wouldn't be terribly tragic. Tragic, right? No, that would be happen, good. But I can see. But I can also see a scenario where Brienne kills Stannis, and then uh. Theon kills Brienne. Oh, uh. something like that. <laughs> and then Sansa kills Brienne. Whoa. Or you know, it's a, I, yeah. Or someone kills Brienne. I don't know. I don't know. I can <laughs> I can just see this like domino effect of characters we like killing each other off uh, as one of the, misinformation and misguided uh, it's one of the things i raised at the beginning of this episode is that that we're being set up for several of these arcs to collide we have yeah. Tyrion and Varys are going to get to marine and thanis and the boltons are going to collide and brienne is going to get to the north yeah. and john snow is doing his thing it's not that far away uh, and mel's is trying to get him to come too because she, she talks yeah. about how he has knowledge of the castle like about you know secret tunnels and things like that that's like a throwaway mention that she says you know you grew up there you know ways in that we don't know we need your help i talked about this before it's very I, I, exciting so epic I'm, I'm in the really past excited. <laughs> earlier on so we start off with characters are kind of cons- relatively consolidated and then it kind of gets scattered a bunch of ways yeah and then we see a lot of like groups of people traveling together and i know i a big part of my through the seasons through the course of the story kind of am excited and anticipating reuniting of characters these different groups that have been separated and have traveled around are going to come back together but almost every time that happens it's bad (laughs) (laughs) and and also on some level it's like an indication near in the end so at this point i'm like no don't just don't stand and stay at the wall Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i don't want people to come back together when finally when brian and podrick caught up with Arya and the Hound. Oh, like, no. oh no! I was so excited at the beginning. I was like, "Oh, whoa, look, it's finally happening!" But the don't no don't geez, kill each other. You guys are gonna stop it? Stop it! Oh. <laughs> no, no. And I was so scared that's gonna happen. They're gonna end up. Fighting. They're, they're setting that up to happen like five more times. <laughs> it's like no. Uh, it is a thing I appreciate about the show how they can like have me rooting for several different characters that have pitted against each other, but they're distant from each other also <laughs> and as they start to close in i'm so scared for everyone <laughs> yeah it's really it's true when, when plot lines collide characters die it's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a pattern that we've observed i don't expect throughout five and four and a half seasons a now. bunch of happy reunions you know <laughs> like stannis and john come down from the wall right when when uh, Podrick and Brienne show up at Winterfell, and everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah, episode 10 <laughs> is going to be Roos and Stannis having a beer. <laughs> and uh, they're going to be playing board games and stuff. <laughs> Talking about the good old days. Okay, mm-hmm. let's see. We didn't answer a lot of questions this, this episode. We did answer a few. Now, part of that is you guys asked a lot of great questions, but some of those questions are being saved because the, the plot lines they were referencing weren't in this episode. There's no House of Black and White. We got a lot of questions on Arya and the Faceless Men, things like that. We're saving those questions for next time she appears, which will probably be next episode. Same story goes for Brienne because she wasn't in this episode. 
Same story goes for the Boltons. Even though we've talked about the Bolton plot a bit, they weren't in this episode, so we decided to keep things more organized. We're going to answer some of the questions that you guys asked us in the next episode. Also, some of the questions that were asked were more appropriate for the Book to Show episode, so we've put those there. So you guys, some of you will hear your, your names mentioned and your questions answered on the Book to Show episode, which will be out probably in about mm, 36 hours from the time this is released, maybe as much as 48 a couple other things. Stay tuned after the credits. We've got some... I've been waiting for a time for us to have a few minutes left over at the end of an episode to do something fun. Have have this... Been trying to get this in for the last few episodes. We've never had enough time for it. This time we actually do. So let me... Uh, let So st- like I said, stay tuned for that. You'll have a good time. So thanks to Sean again for being here and being our recurring guest. Um, thanks to our Patreon supporters. Our Hand of the King is Lord Cash Craig, a.k.a. Vaxis on the History of Westeros Forums. Our Warden of the North is Lord Parker, the Bastard of Starkville. Our Wardens of the South, East, and West do not exist. Please defend our borders. We're facing all kinds of invasions, and we would hate for us to all die, right? Right? No? <laughs> uh. our, our small council is, is made up of some very excellent folk. Master of Coin is Lord Robert Jacobs. Master of Whispers is Lord James the Scholar. Grand Maester Itai wears the jeweled collar of many medals. And he's so much better than Grand Maester Pycelle. I mean, it's not even close. Jeez. Lord Rosie the Clever is our Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships. And he is so much better than Mace Tyrell, let me tell you. Our History of Westeros Night's Watch command, Lord Commander is George the Golden. Our Kingsguard is commanded by Lord Commander Shepard. Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki and Lord Nathan of the Firefort are lords of the realm who give key support. So, let's see here. This fun thing that we do every once in a while, uh, I, I have some fun on Twitter. And we do we play a game. A hashtag game, a comedy game. Usually it's one of those fun games where you try to take Game of Thrones themes and turn it into something else. In this case, we had fun with tv shows game of thrones tv shows themes now i've got some people's names here some of you great listeners had some awesome suggestions some of my twitter friends threw out some amazing hilarious names that i nearly busted gut laughing at so hopefully you guys will enjoy these archmaster drew and bill Suther- sotherby threw out some good names here we have the big brand theory a thousand and one dornish nights it's always sunny in winterfell Marin trant mall cop ernst polly suggests Blackwater Baywatch, Frey's Anatomy, Darren Tucker of our Kingsguard, the Knight of the Forums, suggests How I Met My Sister, and The Fresh Prince That Was Promised, Andy S. suggests Twincess Peaks, Jeff Hartline, our good buddy Brendan Beefish from Wars, of, uh, Wars and Politics of a Song of Ice and Fire blog, check out their podcast, by the way, they've only got about, I think, four episodes out now, just getting going, really good stuff they're doing over there, good friends of ours, so check them out. Who was that again? Jeff Hartline. He suggests okay. Kingslandia. <laughs> uh, our, our, our personal friend, Andrew Wolf, the Golden Tooth Girls. Nice one, Andrew. Jasmine Townsell suggests Johnny Bravos. <laughs> uh, Baller Poncho suggests My Three Sons of the Harpy. Terry Schwartz of Zap to It. Everybody loves Tormund. <laughs> I really like that one. Ashe and I had a couple good ones. Better Call Drogo. <laughs> the Rosby Show. No. <sighs> The New Adventures of Old Nan. Mm. That's so Blood Raven. <laughs> Rob's Burgers. Bale ish. Starks and Recreation. Uh, that's a good one. Trailer Stark Boys, along the same lines. Dharma and Gregor. <laughs> King of the Hill Clans. 
And some others. American Hodor story. Grey Worm's Anatomy. East Watchin' Down. Desperate Spearwives. Married with Children of the Forest. And coming soon, Hard Home Improvement. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to History of Westeros. You can support us in a variety of ways. Go to historyofwesteros.com. You can donate through PayPal. You can become a Patreon supporter. Become part of our Patreon army. Get episodes early. Get access to scripts. Hear your name in our episodes like you heard these fine folks just a few minutes ago. Thanks again, folks. We will see you next week for what is becoming a very exciting season, keeping us on the edge of our seats. We will continue to have fun with you guys, and I can't wait to talk about Episode 5. See you then.